welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Tell me about your Mac Mini. <laughs> right. So, Mac Mini. I'm a few days into the Mac Mini now, and it's, I'm really, really loving it for a start. So, my Swift compilation times in Xcode are fantastic. I'm hitting run and then kind of looking up and going, oh, right, the simulator's open. Brilliant. You know, which I didn't have on, on the 2013 13-inch uh, uh, MacBook Pro that I had. So if you had to give like a 2x, 3x kind of improvement, what what number would you give it? On Xcode compilation, it feels like somewhere between 5 and 10x. Ooh, okay. It, it's <laughs> flying. It's really flying. And that's only the i5 you've got, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I yeah. say only the i5. It's still a lovely chip, but... It's the i5, yeah. and it's constrained a little bit by having 8 gigs of RAM. We'll get into that in a second. Okay. Um, but, the, yeah, in terms of Xcode compilation times, if I'm literally just running Xcode in the simulator, it is flying, absolutely flying. Getting into the other stuff, so I think I'm going to upgrade the RAM to 16 gig. Uh, 8 gig feels a little bit too too small. And it feels a little bit too small in terms of like if I open multiple programs as they all start to open up, I get a bit of lag. And I'm pretty sure every so often that, that kind of intermittent lag is the, the machine paging back to the SSD, uh, which is pretty fast because it's an SSD and it's a fast chip. It's got a lot of cache and all of that sort of stuff as well. But yeah, every so often, tiny bit of lag versus the the obvious speed that the the mac is having otherwise so i think 16 gigs of ram will probably sort that out and i think 32 would be nice but it's probably a vanity at this point um, yeah in terms of how i use the machine i put 32 in my previously owned 5k imac and yeah I, i could never tell whether i it was actually worth it or not because obviously mm. i never had any ram problems but then you wouldn't with 32 gig of ram but then would i have had it with 16 i'd probably have had no impact on me i don't think yeah um yeah it definitely felt like a vanity thing i, I just wanted 32 gig of ram to say that i had an imac with 32 gig of ram <laughs> um i mean well, that's fair enough but i'm looking at this and thinking well that's another few hundred dollars so maybe i should just go with 16 um, yeah, and I mean, this was like pre us having Charlie as well. So we kind of had like, you know, what they say, double income, no kids. So we had like, it was fine at that point just to dump that amount of money on RAM. But now I'd, I'd be thinking a lot more carefully, I think. Yeah. So I think 16 gigs is going to be a thing in the next few weeks. So I'm going to also have to get brave enough to open the machine up, which I think will be fine. I've done this sort of stuff loads of times before, but it's just been a while. You know, so it's been probably about two and a half years since i last opened up a mac mini and yeah. i know this what this one everything's buried a little bit more to get to the ram it's behind a shield and a couple of other bits need to be popped off so you have to slide the motherboard out as well don't you uh you push it all out through the back yeah so yeah. open it all out and then it all pushes out through the back and then you can get in and like i say once i do it it won't actually be that hard uh but opening up a brand new machine is not what i felt like doing in the last few days so again, I'm I'm kind of putting that off for for another week or two. Yeah, I can appreciate that. It's, it's still the new shiny, isn't it? You don't want to go straight at it with a screwdriver. 
No, no, exactly. And I also wanted to give it a fair chance before I sort of made that assessment as well. I mean, I was pretty sure that I was going to want to put 16 gigs in it. But equally, it's hard to say that when you've only been running it for a day. So, yeah, give it another week or so, and then I'll get brave enough to order it and, and pop it open and put that in. I'm not sure it'll be fine. But so far, so good on, on like the general running and everything else. That's great. The only place that it is falling over quite badly is with the Bluetooth. So Bluetooth reception on this machine seems to be broken. And really? I've gone Googling after, yeah, um, intermittent dropouts uh, depends on what devices you plug in at the back as well. Uh, I'm really not happy about that side of it with it, but I've, I've managed to find a situation that sort of works for me. So looking this up, what it looks like has happened is that the Bluetooth chip is on the same piece of board as the USB or it's very, very close to it, and it is not shielded very well. Add into that that the Mac Mini is basically a metal chassis with a plastic bottom, and that the, the antenna's on the bottom of the machine. When you've got it flat on a desk, uh, combine all of those things together, and also the fact that I have my Wi-Fi network on just on um, 2.4 gigahertz, and... Er- Everything's sort of operating in that that frequency range as well for Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, and I was getting a lot of dropouts with my mouse. Keyboard, not so much. But but my magic mouse, uh, yeah, lots of dropouts with that. That's no good. No. So the fix for me has been twofold. One is that um, USB device that I've got plugged in at the moment for the, for audio I keep its cable sort of trailed away from the machine. Um, The Mac Mini itself I've put on the same level as my monitor stand at the moment. There's room for it. And having it elevated means that the Bluetooth devices can see the bottom of the machine easier. Uh, So that antenna that's that's in the bottom of the machine where the the circular plastic is, Mm -hmm. it's just behind that. Um, it's now got effectively open access underneath it down to, to my keyboard and my mouse. And that's really fixed a lot. I also f- flicked the, um, the Wi-Fi network over to 5G. And so it's only on that now because the only device that really cares about that particular access point is, is the Mac Mini. So it doesn't really matter that if we had a, an older machine that, that can't really use any of that or whatever, which was a concern a while ago but I don't think it is for anything we're running now. So, yeah, flick the, flicked over to 5G, put the machine so it's elevated so the Bluetooth devices can see it easier. Uh, and if anything else kind of goes on, then I'll look at a USB-C hub and actually having wires that sort of extend out from my older USB devices that sort of are away from the machine so the interference is less. Gotcha, uh, okay. That's a lot to consider just to, to make it work. And I, I know um, a friend yeah. of mine actually who has one, he 3D printed a stand for his Mac Mini. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and he runs it on its side, so it's sort of it's uh, tall and thin rather than low and flat. Shouldn't get to that, though, should it, really? Not really, no. Um, I mean, I'm happy now because, uh, yeah, raising the machine has meant it, it's working absolutely fine for me. 
but yeah, I shouldn't have had to go through all of that with a brand new machine, and that's that's been a bit of a downer. Yeah, uh, yeah, it kind of takes away something from the the new machine kind of funness, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much. But but now stuff's working. Uh, I'm I'm seeing, you know, that that whole new machineness and all of that with it. So um, I'm basically I, I am happy. Just yeah. it, it feels like this is a, an area of quality that Apple have overlooked with this machine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, how do you find fan noise? Was one thing I wanted to know because I heard some stuff about the machine sort of potentially thermally throttling, and on that basis, that you would assume the fans probably spinning like crazy as well. I've, I've only really had it once so far. Why isn't uh, the fan spinning up to an audible level? Yeah. Otherwise, it's been basically quite silent even when i've been um doing compiling projects and stuff i guess that's bursts of power isn't it rather than like sustained load like if you were to do a final cut pro kind of export or something um, yeah probably yeah which again is kind of what made me think about moving back to a laptop and not really worrying so much about the thermal throttling because it always seems that yeah when you watch youtube reviews of like you know the, the 2018 macbook pro the, the the issue of thermal throttling comes up and it's usually in the context of oh well I tried to do a, a 4k export from my Final Cut 10 project yep. and it's like well yeah it would do then if, it, if it's constantly going at it like crazy um, yeah, that's, that is that is going to happen but I guess in, in our case trying to think about what I mostly do I'm usually bouncing between Safari, Mail, Affinity Designer, Xcode, Slack and maybe GarageBand yep. I don't think there's anything in that that's going to constantly chew and chew and chew away at power um, the main thing would be when you export from GarageBand, and that's that's still actually quite light compared to video. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd say in like what it's now day five with this machine, and I've heard the fans majorly kick in once, and then that was I think I was running like Xcode, Spotify, and quite a few it's probably, other things it's probably spotify doing all of it being an electron app <laughs> genuinely think so i had slack running as well oh well that's it game over then yeah and then regular chrome so you sort of stack all these things up i probably had about three or four instances of chrome actually running all at the same time yeah i mean i make a point now of closing down slack if there isn't some kind of active conversation that i'm taking part in on my macbook yeah. just because i like to use it without being plugged in wherever possible. And yeah, it, it just really kills the battery life. Um, I really notice it with Slack, especially if you go up to the battery icon where it says apps using significant energy. Um, yeah. I think in one instance, Slack was above Affinity Designer in that list. <laughs> you consider uh-huh. what Affinity Designer does in terms of its utility and you know, really quite some powerful mathematics going on there, given that it's a vector illustration program. And then you got Slack just sat there doing essentially nothing. Um just crazy polling for for updates well i don't know what it's doing but i guess it's the whole inefficiency of electron that's mostly to blame i would guess it's crazy if you if you imagine um if slack was to become native overnight i'm imagining um a marzipan situation here yeah and imagine that okay that that version of the app is actually quite efficient comparatively and and if that translates over to Mac OS, you there would actually be a measurable reduction in energy use around the world if you added up all of that, like all of the cycles, all of the, the actual 
electricity cost of running that. Oh, yeah. And the, the many, many people that run Slack. If you aggregated all of that, it would be interesting on, on just how many um, how many kilowatts and everything that would be saved. That's a very that's a very interesting point of view on it. Actually, I'd never considered it through that lens. Yeah, that's fascinating, so, isn't it? When you start to unpack it like that. Yeah, yeah, because um, all of this has a cost after a point. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> you stopped me in my tracks there. I've never never actually thought about kind of responsibility in software development in terms of not burning too much electricity. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a new one. Yes, that's that's really cool. I think there is there is a responsibility there when when you're talking about something that is uh, is so popular and is is you know in in such wide adoption. I mean, like Facebook would have similar similar costs, right? Like, well, probably by an order of magnitude above Slack, but you know, a small improvement in in its main thread sort of operations or whatever probably has this other energy impact going on with it. Moving moving on with that thought though thinking about marzipan apps there's been a bit of um a few things leaked in quite the week hasn't it it has so ios 13 it's been been quite a few things leaked about it in terms of like what might be coming to to the ipad i think more than anything else is what sort of leapt out for me yeah so is this the whole apps being able to have multiple windows yes and i guess by extension that's probably going to come to the mac as well feels like maybe this would be a thing that happens it could happen on both couldn't it really well it kind of seemed to me that as soon as i started reading this i was like okay so they're doing this on the ipad so that when you make a marzipan app of like this ipad app it then translates really well to mac os and it feels mac os-y enough to to pass as a mac app yeah but yeah i i think that was fascinating that um report about apps having multiple windows so if i'm understanding this correctly and you know jump in correct me if i'm wrong um i read it that one app can have multiple windows and each window can have multiple sheets within it and then a sheet can be attached to some portion of the interface uh, and then sort of dragged off to become like this kind of floating element almost like a card yes and then these cards as they start to accumulate can be stacked on top of one another and then sort of depth effects can come into play so it's easy to see which one is in focus at that time yep so yeah that to me is kind of like that's how you know the marzipan apps are going to translate from ipad to the mac so it's almost like they need to sort of beef up the ipad apps in order to make them seamless between mac os and ipad i don't know how it's going to play with with iphone i think probably not at all to begin with yeah that was my thoughts because how on earth are you going to get multiple windows on an iphone screen um that's going to be yeah. quite a feat isn't it so to make it look decent yeah uh, i think there's examples of it in use over in android where you can have this situation with with multiple activities and and things that it, it just it is how part of android works but i'm not sure multiple windows looks nice or work or feels or works very nice yeah so technically hmm. not impossible but the execution is going to be quite a big thing and making that work straight up on the phone uh, feels like it could be quite difficult certainly on the smallest devices yeah i mean to me uh, like a marzipan app that works on the ipad and also on the mac is kind of like likely to be a, a bigger heavier app 
Yeah, uh, that's not to say though that an iPhone app couldn't also have a Mac counterpart. I mean, I, the thing I'm thinking of is like a Twitter client. Yep. I mean, just kind of like a, an iOS simulator-sized app that kind of floats around on your Mac desktop that is like the Twitter client, with obviously minor tweaks to make it slightly more Mac friendly versus just just a straight clone of what we have on iOS. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't see why that can't work, but yeah, I think this whole multiple windows thing is potentially fascinating to see how that could push the iPad forward. That's going to be, uh, it's going to be super interesting. I, I think for the iPad, um, and wasn't there something about being able to send a window from your Mac to a second screen and that second screen could be an iPad. Yes. Yeah. So, so this was the idea I heard it dubbed as being sidecar, I think was the, the working name or the leaked. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the it. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um I guess it's very similar to have you heard of the lunar display? Yes, yes I had. I've been looking at it actually for use with this this Mac mini. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess that t- I I haven't used it. Um I've just kind of heard all the podcast ads that cuz they've obviously been doing a bit of a marketing push on it um lately. So it kind of turns your iPad into a second screen for your Mac. But then when you think about a first party implementation of this from Apple, that then opens up doors to essentially, you know, send a something that's on your Mac, send it to your iPad, and that kind of turns it into like one of the uh, Wacom tablets almost, doesn't it? So you could take yeah, the pencil yeah, to it. Yeah, because you could have the, the pressure from the pencil and everything coming through as well. Yeah, so there could be APIs in place to make that all play really nicely, because at the moment, like with a lunar display, I mean, you might be able to tap with the pencil and that just registers as a, as a tap. But I mean, I don't yeah. know how they would be able to kind of translate angle and pressure and, and all that kind of stuff with a pencil. Um, well, I mean, they they could they could send a version of that through because the app on the iPad can pick a load of that stuff up, and then it's just a matter of having it transmit those values um, through to the client on the Mac side. But you're reliant on drivers on the Mac to then kind of take that information and shim it through in the right way that it then presents it back out to to applications on the Mac itself. Yeah. And that's, again, it's not impossible, but you're then dependent on that vendor providing you with those drivers every time there's an an update that could impact anything those drivers depend on, which is kind of part of my unease with with, uh, things like the Lunar Display itself because you're reliant on them keeping it up to date with the OS. And while it's a going concern, of course they will, but potentially it becomes a thing that, that sort of, if if it goes nowhere and they go under, for example, then you, your, your, your device stops working after a few updates. Mm. Uh, whereas obviously something that's rolled into the OS is going to at least feel uh, like it's going to be more dependable. I mean, Apple could still get rid of it, but it's, you know, a, a vendor supported by the operating system. So... Uh, if Apple Sherlock them with this, in a sense, that's that's what this could be. Unfortunately, I'd be more for this than than the Lunar Display because yeah. of all of that. It's easier for them to do that sort of stuff. It's more likely to be supported better as well. Uh, I'm I'm all for it. It looks it's really quite cool. Yeah, I mean, this when I, when I kind of started reading about this, this was the first time I've ever really seriously considered. Oh, I could maybe get an iPad Pro and actually put it to some good use and that's not to say they're not useful for other people um i know a lot of people that get huge amounts of utility out of the ipad just the way it is paired with a keyboard 
Yeah. Um, but but for me personally, um, I don't I I can't justify it in its current state given what I do, you know, with with computers essentially. Um, but yeah, this this puts a whole new spin on it, and yeah. You also get all the benefits of just having an iPad as well. I mean, I'd be looking at it. Well, this is like a thousand dollar Wacom tablet, but yeah, you know, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if Wacom tablets are that much for the really, really good ones with the built-in screens and, and all of that. Um, so to have something like that that could interface with the Mac in a really tight way, uh, that that could be that could be really great. And yeah. doesn't necessarily just have to be interface with the pencil as well. I mean, there's there's potential here for. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe even Xcode or something to to be sent to the iPad screen, and you could sort of maybe use use the iPad in some capacity with, with Xcode. I, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, the, the possibilities here seem really really big. And uh, for me, this would be a case of well, if I had the keyboard with with my iPad, then yeah, I'd be looking to use like if I needed to just. What what happens for me quite often is I'll be sat there and I'll get an idea for something and I just want to go and try it. And I don't necessarily want to be on my computer again for like the next hour or whatever. This is sort of, you know, I'm chilling on the sofa and I just want to see if, if X, Y, Z would work. And being able to kind of boot, you know, pick my iPad straight up because it's usually there in the living room and then connect to the Mac on the other side of the house and just have a go. Um, yeah, I'd do that. I really would, and it doesn't have to be the best Xcode experience, even if it's just sort of crammed into to effectively a smaller um, point size of a display or whatever. Um, you know, it can as long as it just sort of works, basically all right. That would let me do that sort of thing. And if we're um, thinking Marzipan as well, if you were to have a Marzipan app running on the Mac, you could then chuck it over to the iPad, and then. It could then use kind of like the uh, the size classes for the iPad, and kind of yeah. feel like an iPad app that has been delivered from the Mac, if that makes sense, rather than just the Mac app kind of being scaled to fit the iPad screen. Yes, it, it will actually fit in the right way, uh, and then you can send it back to the Mac. Like I'm done with it now on the iPad, send it back over to the Mac, and then it can you know relay itself out using you know whatever size class presumably they're going to use to for like for the Mac or, or whatever they do there. Yeah. Um, feels like it could be really, really tightly integrated. This is like textbook Apple where they, they can shine, isn't it, when yeah. everything's within the walled garden. This is where the walled garden pays dividends in a way, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, because it, it sort of brings everything inside the same part of the garden then, and that's that's where it just sort of really takes off. Mm. Um, the other bit is is what you've just described there. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, sidecar or this sort of lunar display kind of functionality that could actually be achieved through handover as well uh, through to iCloud. some degree yeah yeah so if you've got the same app effectively just it's the, the mac interpretation running and then that makes itself available to to handover and you're then on the ipad and you've got the ipad version installed there you can then pick up where you left off if they've programmed everything through to support handover then yeah so I'm calling it handover. Is it handover or handover? Continuity, is it? Continuity, yeah. Very, very yeah. fascinating, though. I think all of this, and it, to me, it, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm liable to see everything through the lens of how it's good for the, how this is going to be good for the Mac. Um, I mean, obviously, this this whole thing could be great for the iPad as well. But I'm like, well, this is good because this represents uh, a solid investment in the Mac as a platform. 
Um, and it might not be pristine out of the gate. You know, the, the, I, I don't doubt there'll be a, a period of un, uncomfortableness with, with all of this. And, you know, there'll be blog posts written and podcasts ranted about what isn't is and isn't right with it all. Yeah, um, people lamenting the loss of bits of AppKit probably over time as well. Yeah, I mean, AppKit's not going away necessarily, is it? Um, at least for now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those where there's a common narrative that, you know, Apple stopped caring about the Mac. They just care about iOS. And then the minute they do anything to the Mac, it's like, get your hands off of my Mac. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I personally feel really excited about, about all of this. I'm really, I think Dub Dub this year is going to be it's going to go down in the history books, I think. In you know, in terms of dub dub, um, it could, could be a real big one. Um, not to mention, they're hopefully going to change the volume HUD as well. So, I mean, that's probably going to be the biggest feature of everything. <laughs> so, can't wait <laughs> for that Mac. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on iOS, I mean, on iOS as well. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the volume HUD on iOS, I think, because obviously you press the volume buttons and you get like this huge square that blocks most of the screen probably the the thing you're looking at at the time i mean some apps override it don't they? i think youtube does it so you just get like a very discreet little bar at the top of the screen that kind of yeah. you know gets bigger or smaller if you're raising or lowering the volume um yeah i think instagram does it as well and that's great i think i love using apps like that um, and then you go back to like the standard ios control it's like oh my goodness like what what is this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if they can do something at an os level that would be uh that would be very much welcome, I think. What else are they up to? Dark mode, that was it. Dark mode for iOS. That could be uh... Dark mode for iOS just feels like it it should just be a thing now, really. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen it on macOS already, haven't we? Um, although part of me almost felt sorry for devs that are currently using that as a, as a premium feature because that's going to kind of get taken away from them to some extent if it's at an OS level. Yeah, it's then something that I can't imagine Apple would want you to charge extra for supporting it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Like, If you've got a Mac app, you do have to put the work in to support dark mode, and it's not as simple as just where something is kind of white or light grey, it then turns to black or dark grey. There is a lot more to it, it, especially in terms of assets. Um, I think one of the demos Apple gave last year at WWDC was some kind of app demo where they had like the solar system and all the planets yeah they turned it into dark mode and kind of like the the image for the earth when it's in light mode was a different image than when it's in dark mode just like you know the, the color tone was slightly shifted to make it seem more more fitting because um, obviously it would be right. quite jarring if all of your assets that you currently have that are like image image based um if you change from light mode to dark mode um i i ne- not don't think i would necessarily have thought of that um, if I was just left to my own devices to implement a dark mode, I would just be like, yeah, okay, you know, what is now white is now black, and what is light grey is now dark grey, that that kind of thing. But there's yeah, yeah. quite a bit to it. So you could argue that even if you're supporting dark mode through, you know, the iOS 13 APIs, potentially you've still got reason to sort of have a switch for it within, yeah, you know, within like a premium feature mode or something. I I, I don't know, but I think yeah, but I, I can't imagine Apple wanting it in in that sort of sense uh, like this is going to be a case of well here's dark mode here's an api and if you put that behind an in-app purchase i think you'll fail app store review um i just got a feel for this um might be wrong if i think about precedents and other things there might be an example where this this already exists in things like um changing app icons 
like you can be rewarded with that by off off the back of an in-app purchase can't you yeah uh, so there yeah. are apps that do do that so maybe i'm wrong there but but i feel like if they're selling dark mode as being such a big thing then i can't imagine they're going to want anything that stands in the way of, of users getting hold of that yeah it could just be a policy thing rather than any kind of technical decision at all couldn't it yeah yeah exactly yeah. Um, which might not be too threatening to to existing apps but I could imagine it being a thing where if you're using that API and then that's that's behind an in-app purchase or some sort of premium premium offer or whatever, then yeah, it's policy in App Store to to maybe fail it. Mm-hmm. Um, we shall see. Uh, if you're looking down the list of other things that have sort of been been leaked, the stuff there that just doesn't interest me as well, like the, the updated CarPlay interface is perhaps a thing. Well, I'm not likely to see CarPlay at all in any machine that i'm likely to be operating on the road so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i saw the mac's gonna get siri shortcuts right okay i don't know i don't know how excited or not excited i am for that to be blunt about it that sort of feels like anything coming across from ios through the marzipan route if that has shortcuts already that there'll be an opening to sort of carry those over into mac os yeah and you know, it's not a bad idea on the face of it, but just when I think about how I use Siri shortcuts, I just don't use them as much as I thought I would. I remember last year at DubDub, I was quite excited um, reading about it, thinking this is it. They've they've almost cracked it in a way that now things are going to be way more accessible. And I'm just not, I'm just not using it. Like in the context of no. iOS, I just I just don't know what to use. I, I just don't know what to use them for. Um, I mean, do you, do you use them at all? No, not now. I played with them when they first came out, and I've just not bothered. Like yeah. I found, I found actually chaining stuff together and discovering the things that I wanted to chain together, um, playing with, uh, with with shortcuts in that sort of way. I found that actually quite difficult. Um, so discovery of the things I wanted to make apps do didn't feel like it was always that easy. And you're a developer; you should be finding it easy, if anything. Yeah. Versus yeah, a, a non-developer user. So, no, I, I can't say I'm too fussed, really. No. I mean, I, I found I hit the ceiling fairly fairly quickly with it. Um, I kind of thought of one would be quite good. I could have a shortcut that would um, connect my phone to a certain Bluetooth device and then start playing a playlist in Apple Music. I thought, yeah, that's a good idea for a shortcut, and it, it just couldn't do it. It just wasn't possible to do the whole Bluetooth connection thing within shortcuts, and that was the only like one decent idea I had for a shortcut that would be useful to me and I couldn't really do it. So I just, at that point sort of sulked and <laughs> ignored <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, I, I guess in a way it does, I don't know. It feels in a certain sense that shortcuts is a way to kind of patch over some of iOS's shortcomings. Cause when you think about iOS, it's very simple in its nature, which is great. And it's made computing, like way more accessible to loads more people. And and I'm all for that. But the trade-off is that it's kind of very easy to hit the point of iOS where you feel encumbered. And some things just aren't easy to do on iOS and require lots of steps. And I guess that's where a shortcut could come in and you build all those steps once and then this, it just becomes one handy little button that you can press in the, you know, the, the little widget thing or summon it with your voice. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I just guess my, my approach is to flip open my laptop and just get the job done that way versus starting to think how could I build my way out of this problem I found myself with. 
yeah, with a shortcut. It's, it's not really how I want to work. No. Uh, if, if I sort of think of the things that I really want to, to kind of behave like that, well, uh, shortcuts has its uses, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who have got a bit of value out of it, but it just doesn't really feel like the right solution to the problem for me in its current form. So I think that's why I've switched off from it. And, and bringing it to the Mac, well, yeah, that's that's fine. You know, having Siri shortcuts come over or whatever and then being able to do similar sort of things there, great. But again, I'm not sure I'll see see the use. On the Mac, I would use something more like Automator today. And, and, and that relies on a whole other subsystem that seems to be dying out on over on the Mac. So that relies on... Um, uh, what's it called? Apple Script and, and that sort of stuff to to actually do what it does. You know, when you put stuff, pull Mac apps into Automator, you see there the features that they've exposed through Apple Script. I think in 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 for the vast majority of of, of things that you can chain together there, that that is what you see. Uh, so there's an API there for apps to to implement over on the Mac that exposes a lot of quite granular sort of functionality. I just don't see shortcuts working in that way. Not not today. Uh, it does seem like that's the way, that's kind of where they want automation to be going. It's, it's, it does seem to me, anyway, at least that shortcuts is kind of their their future roadmap in the context of automation. Because I think one of the main guys that worked on automators kind of got I don't know if they got fired from Apple, but he got let go, I think, or something like that. Um, so it does kind of make me think that shortcuts is their preferred route for the future of automation. So part of me feels like I should maybe just kind of get on board of it a little bit, but I don't, I didn't even use automator. Have you, have you ever used it for anything? I've, I've used it for a few things, but it's very much a, a, you know, one thing every year kind of situation really. Yeah. Uh, I'm always glad it's there when that happens. You know, I've used it for things like, um, batch renaming of, of image files and chaining together stuff that I used to do with with my video editing and that end of stuff. So I'd, I'd have a, a, an app that would be chucking out individual frames, uh, uh, for example, and then running it through Automator to then connect all those frames up and turn it back into a video at the other end. Right. Um, it's, it's been good for that sort of stuff. So, mm. but equally, I, I would, these days, I'd probably end up writing a shell script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, mm. but yeah, I think it's uh, it's been quite the week so far for uh, macOS uh, ten point fifteen and iOS thirteen leaks. It's yeah, and, yeah, and in a good way actually. I don't feel like there's anything that's been leaked that's going to completely ruin the event for me. Uh, it's all stuff that I'm going to be happy to see it exist, and actually the detail around it and how it's implemented is sort of the the bit that we don't see at the moment. Yeah. So even if, if everything that's been leaked is absolutely accurate and this is all that we're getting, I'll still be happy. I won't feel like I've lost anything in, in kind of having that, that spoiled for me ahead because it's the detail in, well, okay, how am I going to program for these APIs? How are they all going to interconnect? Uh, is it actually going to feel any good when you're using it over on the Mac in this way or, you know, all, all that sort of stuff we won't see until June. So, and it still feels like there's perhaps potential here for other things that we've just not seen yet. So as much as I hate leaks sort of spoiling the surprise, I think this has been, this has been basically all right. Yeah. There's a lot that remains to be seen. Um, Yeah. 
It's going to be one hell of a dub-dub, I think, <laughs> the way things are shaping up. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast, and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot. 